Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. Because many of us in pathology don't have direct patient contact, it's sometimes easy to forget that there's a patient attached to each specimen and how the work that we do affects those patients. My guest today is Dr. Marilyn Bui. Dr. Bui is a cytopathologist, bone and soft tissue pathologist, and one of the editors of the book, The Healing Art of Pathology. Today, we're going to talk about how this book attempts to reestablish that connection with patients, and we'll go through some of the highlights of Dr. Bui's career. All right, here's Dr. Marilyn Bui. Now, I know you did your medical training in China. So I'm curious then, who or what inspired you then to become a doctor? That's a very interesting question. I am always uh, trying to think of how did I get to where I am today? When I was growing up, I was really into performing and uh, leadership and uh, school newspaper and radio and all that. So I thought about becoming a communication professional, such as a journalist, a radio host, a TV anchor, or a diplomat like my parents. But I decided to go to medical school instead to become a physician. As you can see, all these professions share a commonality. They're all noble and impactful professions. Becoming a profession was what I found the most intellectually challenging. Gaining the fundamental knowledge of human body was mind-opening, and the getting a glimpse into the power of healing was just magical. So after graduating from medical school, I came to the U.S. for graduate school. Growing up as a child of diplomats, I was always influenced by Western cultures and thought the U.S. was a great place to continue my education. I went to the University of Florida to obtain my Ph.D. in immunology and molecular pathology and was awarded with a full scholarship. For the second time, I had to start as a student encountering new challenges. Again, adopted, survived and thrived in graduate school. Through this experience, I gained the appreciation of medical science and the skill set of conducting medical research to create new knowledge to benefit patient care. Looking back, I have lived in Florida for 33 years, which is much longer than I had lived in Beijing, China, that was my birthplace. I got married here. My daughter was born here. I worked and lived here for all those years. So I can now say I'm a true Floridian now. Was it difficult coming to the U.S. from China? I mean, could you speak English at the time? And like, what was the kind of the culture, the culture change? Was that was that difficult to get used to? So as I mentioned, when I was growing up, I did have a lot of exposure to Western culture. My parents mm -hmm. worked in U.S. for more than four years, and they, they sent home the videos, like music, magazines. Oh, okay. Yes, so I already exposed to it. As you know, we all learn English as a second language in school. Right. That was actually English was one of the uh, exam for you to enter the university. And when I was in medical school, there was this uh, experimental class. So there were 300 students. We all got in, and then they give us this surprise English exam. 30 of us were selected into this uh, experimental class by the score of their English, addition to all the other academic merits. Then they were, we were trained to learn all the medical lessons in English. So some of the teachers were Chinese teachers sent to US or England for training and come back and teach us. Some were invited professors. So the intention is to create the next generation professors who can taught the class in English and all that. So I was benefited from that education. So comparing to a general student growing up, raised in China, come here for graduate school, I had more advantages. So coming to U.S. was really 
exciting and it's like adventure for me. The language barrier wasn't a big deal, but what was most different was the culture of learning and the creative thinking was very different. In China, the education was more like you listen to the professor give your lectures, and then you get the exam. There may be some exercise practice before that. That's pretty much the type of uh, learning. Here in US, you have lectures, but there are a lot more group discussions and a lot more hands-on experience. They give you a topic. They give you the tools. They show you where to get information. You go get it. You work as a group, and then you create a product. And most importantly, you are encouraged of creative thinking, challenging the authority, and really speak your mind. So those are the critical thinking and the hand-on and the deliberation of the mind was extremely mind-boggling to me, so I adopt that style, and that turned out to be a great experience. So that was the part that was really challenging for me at the very beginning. That's interesting, because talking about that, it seems like the, the rest of your career is kind of a hybrid of those two different styles, as, as we're going to see as, as we're talking, I think. Correct. So I got the best of the Eastern and the Western, I combine together mm-hmm. and find out what's my passion, what I can do, what I enjoy, what I can give back. So that holistic approach, it's giving me this growth mindset. So in my personal and professional journey, I'm constantly learning and growing and uh, transforming myself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I like that. Okay. Now you mentioned already that you went on to earn a PhD in molecular pathology and immunology. What was it like? How did you become interested in this field? I wanted to learn the science that will lead me to the future of scientific evolution. In my mind, the immunology and the molecular pathology represented that future. I was fascinated by transformative discovery of double helix of DNA and how immunological cascades control our body. In graduate school, my first journal club was about polymerase chain reaction. That was the time when the creator of that won the Nobel Prize. And I was also starstruck by meeting our keynote speaker, which was a, a real Nobel Prize winner scientist of immunology. So learning from those people, just seeing these people, it's just very inspiring. So my goal was to become a physician scientist who would help to bridge the bench side discovery from the laboratories to the bedside of the patient to benefit their care. Even in graduate school, I choose to study human subjects instead of animals for my doctoral thesis. I study the linkage and association of non-HLA susceptibility genes for insulin-dependent diabetes. We made impactful scientific discoveries under the mentorship of my PhD advisor. Being in the Department of Pathology and interacting with physicians and scientists, I realized that the pathology and the laboratory medicine is the backbone and foundation of medical science and practice. This is how I got interested in pathology. After I graduated with my PhD in immunology and molecular pathology, I worked at the University of Florida Health Sciences Center Jacksonville as a clinical instructor. This is a pathology department. I conducted breast cancer research and taught pathology residents and fellows. While studying and clearing all the USMLE exams to receive the ACGME certification to practice medicine in the US. When I was considering a subspecialty to do residency, pathology was the only path that makes perfect sense to me. I felt the pathology was something I was interested in and could do really well. 
in this subspecialty. This is how I get into pathology. Were there any other subspecialties that you were considering at the time? Or was you, you discovered pathology and that was it? Yes, I was pretty much thought pathology is a perfect fit. What I was trained on, what I have experienced on, it just makes perfect sense. One important reason is, as you, you may know that when I moved to U.S. in graduate school, I was single. And I met my husband when I was in graduate school. So we got married. So my daughter was born when I was in graduate school. After I graduated from um, PhD, I worked as a clinical instructor. My daughter was really, really young. So the department of pathology where I was working offered me the residency position. And the most importantly is an off-cycle position. That means I can immediately transition into this position. So this works perfect for my personal life and the profession and the the timing. So this is just ideal for me. So that's why I I jump into this situation because to me, having a successful professional life is important, but it's equally important to have a, a great family life, especially to raise somebody that I can be very proud of. So this is, a, a, there are multiple reasons in place. So I was, have the right place at the right time and uh, with the right profession in mind when I get into pathology residency fellowship, because when you get into something, you have to be committed, mind, body, and soul. I was in that situation, so I just jumped in. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people listening can probably understand that that mindset for sure. Mm-hmm. So these days you're the section head of bone and soft tissue pathology. Correct. Mm-hmm. I, I heard in, I don't know if it was another podcast or it was some other presentation that you said that you were uh, inspired to specialize in bone and soft tissue pathology after uh, hearing a presentation from an orthopedic oncologist. Correct. Can, can you tell me that story? Yes. When I was a senior pathology resident, Dr. Douglas Ladson, an orthopedic surgeon at Moffitt Cancer Center, and his pathologist, Dr. Carlos Murocaccio, were invited to give us a bone soft tissue tumor pathology lecture. That was the first time that I had seen a presentation in an interactive and collaborative way by a duet. I love the camaraderie they shared and felt empowered to know that pathologists were so important in the patient care team. After I graduated, just after I applied in for a lot of jobs, I was successfully got the Moffitt job, and they play an important role to recruit me to work at Moffitt Cancer Center. They welcomed me to the sarcoma team. I am very grateful that they showed me a collaborative environment and the patient-first attitude is the foundation from which we provide the outstanding care to our patients. So it took people a long time to figure out But for me, at the very beginning, that seed was already in my mind. So now it's just all blossomed. Shortly after I arrived at Moffitt, Dr. Murocaccio moved to another university. And I had the honor to step into his role. With the mentorship of Dr. Ladson, 17 years later, I have grown into the pathologist that I am today. I'm the section head of bone soft tissue, a panel member of NCCN soft tissue sarcoma practice guideline. I published extensively on bone soft tissue and ranked by the ExpertScape's PubMed-based algorithm in the top 1% scholars writing about the soft tissue neoplasm over the past 10 years in the world. As you know that my approach to pathology is holistic. Bone soft tissue pathology is one of the vehicles. My mission is to deliver the best possible patient care by combining 
my expertise in not only the bone soft tissue, but also cytopathology, biomarker testing, and digital pathology and AI. So Dr. Ladson and Dr. Carlos Miracaccio really influenced me and inspired me in that sense. You know, a lot of people, when there are kind of new technologies that come out or uh, things like that, they, they might be kind of afraid of them, like, you know, it's going to change the field too much. And I don't know if I want to learn something new. But for you, it seems like you're always when, when something new comes out, you you really grab it and you kind of dive into it. And I know you've given a talk about what you call the three revolutions of pathology, which kind of goes through these different areas. And so can we kind of define what, what do you mean by the three revolutions? What are those? And then we go, I want to kind of get into sort of your role in, in each of those. Thanks for, for this question, because the third revolution, the three revolution of pathology was not my original idea. Okay. I do a lot of reading and I read this article talking about it, which in line with my understanding of how pathologists is evolving. As you said, I gravitated to it. And in all my presentations, I will start to set a tone with this three revolution of pathology, because this just give us this big picture of where we are, where we're going. So pathology now is undergoing the third revolution, as you know, is digital pathology and AI. Our profession was born with a microscope and HE slides. With these blue and pink stains, pathologists can study patient tissues at a cellular level. The first revolution was immunohistochemistry. These brown stains give pathologists the ability to see the cells at a protein level, which enhanced our understanding of the disease processes and gave us an ability to study biomarkers. That's huge. The second revolution was molecular pathology. With a mutational analysis and next generation sequencing, we gained a deeper knowledge of the disease at a genomic level. This was also presented us with challenges and the data analysis limitation due to the information explosion. Now, with the third revolution, digital pathology and AI, the pathology information that was analog before is being translated into digital data, which can be shared and analyzed by computer aid methods to augment our ability to study diseases at a much deeper level in a broader way and also correlate with other disciplines such as radiomic, pathomic, proteomic, genomics, to generate actionable knowledge for patient care. As you can see, pathology and the laboratory medicine, our business is to adopt the best, the most effective tools to help our patients. So now our profession's survival is depending on how good do we adopt the new technology and move forward? As you know, that our ability as pathologists has changed so much in the era of precision medicine. All patients' journey starts with their diagnosis. In the era of precision medicine, in addition to providing diagnostic information, we're also expected to provide prognostic and predictive information. Pathologists, and the laboratory medicine are being pushed to the front line of patient care. The choice we must make collectively includes either being the bottleneck or becoming the enabler of quality patient care. I believe that a pathologist who embrace and unleash the power of digital pathology and AI can really stay relevant and valuable in the era of precision medicine. So as you said, that's what's the reason we need to really keep up with uh, this transformation. And personally, I was really fortunate to be trained as pathologist and a scientist. 
when I started working at the Moffitt Cancer Center 17 years ago, I was prepared by training for the second and the third revolution, that's immunohistochemistry and the molecular pathology. I was fortunate to be appointed as the scientific director of analytic microscopy core of Moffitt Cancer Center and the Research Institute at early point of my career, which provided me the opportunity to learn digital pathology and AI. In order to keep up with the third revolution and playing a leadership role in this, I was very honored and humbled. I credit the Digital Pathology Association, that's DPA, and the College of American Pathologists, that's the CAP, for various professional development opportunities for me to develop as a leader and expert in this area. Those opportunities include the past president of DPA, the chair of CAP Digital and the Computation Pathology Committee, and the past chair of CEP HER2 IHC Quantitative Image Analysis Guideline Expert Committee. So this is, as you said, sometimes we're just fortunate to be in the right place at the same time. On the other hand, you got to be prepared to embrace the ch change and, and continue to willing to transform yourself. Right. I mean, those are two really good lessons right there. I mean, your your the early part of your career was several times you were in the right place at the right time. And then, like you said, you embraced the change. I mean, you're studying immunology as immunohistochemistry was becoming popular. You, you know, you get into bone and soft tissue pathology, which is a very big molecular element to it. So you're embracing that there. And then again, now with with the digital pathology and AI aspect. And then you even went on to serve as president of the DPA in, in 2019. When you were starting to learn about digital pathology, I mean, did you expect it by, by this point in time, did you expect it to be more uh, widely used than it is now? As you said, the adoption is a little slow. And mm. we. I am hoping this, what we have now should be happened 10 years ago. Digital pathology and AI is gaining momentum in pathology practice. The COVID-19 pandemic served as a accelerator for adoption. Yeah. The CMS relaxed the rules and allowed the pathology remote sign out using digital pathology. The FDA approval of multiple host live imaging system for primary diagnosis in recent years, and the approval of an AI algorithm for prostate cancer diagnosis in 2021 are also very encouraging. The DPA continues to lead the adoption, education, and advocacy of digital pathology and AI. The DPA had a very successful and high-energy annual meeting in 2021 in Las Vegas, with a record number of exhibitors, attendees. This is all during pandemic, and this just shows how people are excited about this. And this is now really moving into the prime time. More and more hospitals, institutions, and the laboratories are adopting digital pathology. And the barriers, including the institutional leadership, technical, and the others are slowly breaking down. So. Even we're hoping, we wish what we have today was 10 years ago. But on the other hand, the things just happened in its own way. Can you imagine if we didn't have what we have already and we have COVID hit, what kind of mess we're going to be in? Because the pathology is critically important in patient care. If there is no digital pathology in AI, we're going to go back to the dark stone ages without the pathology, diagnosis, prognosis, and predictive information. The physicians wouldn't know what to do with the patients. So on the other hand, we wish we were so much more advanced so that when the COVID hit, we didn't have to struggle <laughs> like what we had today 
there will be a much more smooth transition into what we had. So anyways, we're glad we're finally moving forward. So COVID taught us a great lesson. We can only move forward faster and collectively. You know, I hadn't thought about it that way. If, uh, like you just said, if we hadn't had the, the, you know, if we weren't at the point where we are now with digital pathology, when COVID hit, yeah, it would have been a disaster. We would have had nothing. That's true. And now I think the pandemic and what's what's been accomplished during it, this is certainly, a, a, I guess you'd call it a proof of concept that digital pathology really does work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it will, definitely. Will, and will probably increase adoption uh, going forward. You've mentioned the AI aspect a, a couple of times. And to me, when you talk about digital pathology, I think that's really the future of it because it's things like counting mitoses or measuring or even, you know, determining the, the percentage of necrosis in a, in a sarcoma. And I feel like these computer assisted or augmented aspects of it would be the real power of that. I mean, it, it should in, in increase efficiency, better patient care, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about what are your thoughts about the future of AI in pathology? Sure. I really like the word you choose carefully, assisted and augmented for AI. Mm-hmm. Because the old concept of AI was artificial intelligence that's so outdated because that gives you this image a robot sitting in front of the medical microscope doing what we're doing and our profession is threatened. So that concept is totally out of the window. I like the words you use, augmented intelligence. Imagine the pathologist is in the center. Our tool is no longer limited by just microscope. We are speaking the digital language, so we are getting into the ecosystem of digital health. At our disposal, we have our digital pathomic image, we can connect with the radiomic image, we can connect it with proteomic, genomic, and all the clinical information. Now our ability to deliver quality patient care is augmented. That is AI. So digital pathology doing the first step, making the analog data into digital data. But the holy grail of digital pathology is to lead to AI, which is augmented intelligence. To The aim is to empower pathologists to perform duties in detection, quantification, classification, prognosis, and prediction in an accurate and reproducible manner to improve the quality and efficiency of pathology and at the end is to optimize patient care. For detection, examples like finding cancers in the lymph node. For example, there's a previous study of the, by the government had shown that the best breast pathologist has an error rate of 3.5 in identifying metastatic breast cancer in lymph node. A top AI system has an error rate of 7.5%. But when you combine the top AI and the pathologist, the error rate is reduced to 0.5%. This is what we want for patients. This is the type of patient care we deserve. For quantification, you give the example of counting key 67. It's becoming more and more important the classic examples we use key 67 count for classification of endocrine t- tumor greater than certain percentage may be malignant, lower than certain percentages indolent, completely benign. And the recent data coming out, even for breast cancer, certain breast cancer with high key 67 cutoff can be treated differently. So now we have better tools to stratify patient for their prognosis, diagnosis, prognosis, and the prediction. So quantification is much important. As you know, as human eyes, when we do the quantification, we can do 5%, 10%, 15%. But 
when you use machine learning or quantitative image analysis, it can be much more precise, 18.5, 6.1, you know, and, and also it's a lot more accurate because we're mm-hmm. eyeballing it. It's very proximate. And also there are other pro- prognostic markers like ER, PR, HER2. So ER, PR are nuclear stains. So their quantification very similar to K67. Yes, challenging, but you can still somehow manage it. However, for HER2, it's membraneless staining. It's very difficult to be accurately eyeballing it by human eye. But as you know, breast cancer is number one breast cancer. 20% of the breast cancer patients will have HER2 positivity. When the patient have HER2, it's poor prognosis. But on the other side, it's a blessing in disguise because we have developed a therapy target to HER2 positivity. So now the breast cancer patient with HER2 positivity, especially the high level of expression, can be treated with target therapy. But as yet, there is a emerging data is showing even for the low level of HER2 expression, there will be targeted therapy. This just makes quantification become more and more important. So we need a standardization. We need to improve the quality of doing it. And this is where quant image analysis and AI will shine. So the third example is classification. For example, we can class by the tumor into adeno, squamous, neuroendocrine, or other types. There are a lot of applications is showing they can do that. And also prognosis and prediction. Can you imagine if we have AI algorithm to can predict which tumor will be positive for what? Which tumor will behave and how the patient will perform even without conducting all those expensive tests, how powerful will that be? How powerful will that be in the countries that did not have those expensive tools that U.S. has? So I'm really excited with excited about all the potential applications in AI. Yeah, definitely. And this will certainly... It, it, it'll be great for the patients. It'll be great for patient care. And this is one of those things where pathology is kind of leading the way. Correct. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Marilyn Bowie. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Now back to Dr. Marilyn Bowie on the People of Pathology podcast. All right. I want to kind of change topics. Now, there's a a book that you published in 2016. Yes, the healing art of pathology. The healing art of pathology. Yes. Now I, I want to talk about this book because, um, you know, I, I bought the book and I read it and it's very, it, it's very moving. A lot of the, a lot of the stories and the, and the art in it. So I kind of want to get sort of the backstory of this. Now, where did the idea of to, to make this book come from? First, I'd love to thank you for purchasing this book. By purchasing the book, not only you're showing you're supporting the pathology community and also as a co-editor, my royalty will donate it to the CAP Foundation. So you are also giving to all the wonderful work that CAP Foundation is doing. So with this book, it was really inspired by a patient who is also an artist that I met before 2016. So he came to me through the connection of radiation oncology resident who was his neighbor, because when this patient had a sarcoma, so I saw his specimen three times already, but I've never met him. And uh, every time when he get 
the first diagnosis, recurrent metastasis, he, he became more and more depressed. He felt like his life was really over. So his friend and a neighbor and this radiation oncologist resident said, why don't you connect with a pathologist? So she can show you what your tumor looked like because the patient wanted to stare the devil in the eyes. So he knew visually what he was fighting with. Second, he wanted to know if his immune cells are fighting back because he participated the dendritic cell. This is an immunotherapy clinical trial. So I shared the digital image of his mixed cell fibrosarcoma with him. We first come to my office. I have this double scope. So we look at it, explain what his tumor cell look like. What's the dendritic cell look like? What's the lymphocyte look like? So I took digital images, I emailed to him. And he blow them up on the canvas and he put his heart and soul, started creating a series of work called My Sarcoma. They're all paintings. This whole process really transformed him. He become engaged, empowered in his uh, recovering process. And he became this very inspirational speaker for the art exhibit in our hospital, talking about his journey, how to connect with his clinical team, how to connect with even his own illness, how to deep, very deep in his soul, find the connection with his higher calling and his belief, his family and friends and this entire network of people to support each other. And on the other hand, it's a really a great inspiration story for me. So this interaction and connection was really transformative for me because this is the moment I finally knew it is such an honor and a privilege to be a healer as a pathologist, our patients' courage and humanity is really inspiring. And every patient behind the slides deserves my best effort. So after that day, when I look at the cases, I will look at a patient's name and try to make that personal connection. It's no longer a case, it's a patient. Even the patient didn't even know I existed, but I know I connected with them and I would do my best to take care of them, like my friends, like my family. So this is a very transformative moment. And this is the moment that I stepped outside the silo of being a pathologist behind the microscope, behind the closed door of the office. I am more connected with my patients, my colleagues, and also I connected with the art and the medicine through this creative work. And this work is the inspiration for my life and work, and I hope it also inspired others. And I have been in contact with my sarcoma patient and collaborated with him on various projects after the book, was published and I become a much better friend with my co-editor, Dr. Catherine Galligan, who helped me deliver this brainchild. And my life has become more meaningful, purposeful after the creation of this book. I just cannot emphasize enough the critical role of pathology. So I want this book to become the ambassador of pathology and the laboratory medicine to reach out to people, to community. Pathology and the laboratory medicine functions as the foundation of our healthcare system, very much like the central nervous system or the brain of a human body. Pathologists are physicians who specialize in diagnosis of disease. Our expertise drives treatment decisions that optimize outcomes for patients. As you know, without the brain, we cannot see, 
speak, move, or breathe, and we will die. For the same reason, without pathology in the laboratory medicine, the clinical team has no direction of how to treat our patients and make them better. Again, the current COVID-19 pandemic has brought pathology and the laboratory medicine to the front as the most important doctors that the patients typically do not meet. By quickly developing and providing robust testing of COVID-19, pathology and the laboratory medicine saves lives, literally. No more than ever, our patients and their treatment Treating physicians are relying on the expertise of pathology in the laboratory medicine. The misconception that because pathology is not typically patient-facing, we are less important, cannot be more far from the truth. Again, I want to emphasize pathology in the laboratory medicine is the central nervous system of medicine we are the most important doctors that patients typically do not meet, and we should claim the position as the leader of precision medicine. So then after being very inspired by your sarcoma patient, and how did you go about collecting more pieces for this book? Because, I mean, there's art by the patients and families, there's some art by some pathologists, other healthcare professionals. How did you go about collecting these pieces and, and how did you decide which to include? First, we want this to be a collaborative effort of everything that our life touched upon. So this is patient-centered, so we have people like Ray and then we reach out to other patients, that's one. Second, we want to highlight the pathologist, not only as the people provide diagnosis, we also want to show their humanistic sides so we have the pathologists have their artwork, their background to show we are coming from diverse background of life and how accomplished they are. So if they're a medical student looking for a profession, they can find out that this is a very rewarding profession they came into. And we also want to show many of the pathologists has very great family lives. Some of their family members, for example, one of my pathologists, he has twin daughters. They were in high school. They were both talented. They each contribute case. So from this process, they consolidate their desire to become physician. So they use this piece as one of their creative work create a line to add to their CV to show they're generally interested in medicine and uh, already helping with pathologists doing this type of work. And we have a pathologist who is a blood banker, donate gallons of blood to save patients' lives. And her husband had prostate cancer. Her two children understand the what the disease is doing to the patient. So they got the glass slides, the reproduction of the glass slides, they smashed them and they put it together into a tree, like a tree of hope and tree of life to really understand the patient journey. So that brings into this life cycle. You may be a pathologist at this moment providing the care but at one point, you and your family will become a patient. As a pathologist, it's our responsibility to not only to bring the best care to our patient, we also have the responsibility to train the next generation pathologists so they can provide the same or better quality cares when you or your family become patients. And we also want to introduce the third component, our colleagues, like Dr. Ladson, like all the other physicians that were providing services. They are the face in front of the patients, and we want to ask them how they think about pathology, how they value us. We also have a lot of partners, the fourth group of people, like the medical technologists, the cytopathologists, the people working in the offices supporting us, and even 
of the people worked at the administrative office help physicians to become better leaders. So we invited all of them. And also in the art community, there are a lot of people promoting art for the well-being of the patients or the physicians. They call them art in medicine. So we also have like a family, friends. And what we did was we used the internet, the communication network of various pathology society, medical institutions, the social medias, posting, the word by mouth, and a lot of personal outreach. Because at the beginning, when you create something that was never done before, it was a blank canvas. So after I communicate with a lot of people, one of my colleagues reached out to one of his colleagues, a pathologist in India. So this Indian pathologist sent me the artwork, has the artwork, the description of the artwork, and the, his story. It made perfect sense. So I said, your is definitely going to be in my book. By the way, can I use this as example to show other people what I'm looking for? He said, my pleasure. So from that point on, the snowball started rolling because at the beginning, just to lay the background, it was very, very challenging to describe what I envisioned. So we received the submissions from all over the world. This is the indication that the healing art of pathology is truly without a border. So what did we ask from the authors? We asked the patients and families how do you feel about the value of pathology in partnership with other physicians in contributing to your diagnosis and your care? And we also ask, how does pathology influence your experience? How does your experience influence your art? For the professionals, we ask the pathologists and the laboratory professionals, what inspires your, your work? How do you connect your art to the patient and the patient's care? We ask clinicians, how do you value the role of pathology in the laboratory medicine in maintaining the health and the well-being of your patients? So our pathologist friends, and there are some big names in this book, we had a couple of uh, presidents of CEP wrote for this book. And we have the pathologist who discovered the, the repetitive brain injury that the NFL football is ex experiencing. We have Dr. Jerry Gardner, who is a social media guru, wrote about how connect with patients changed his life. Mm -hmm. We also had just so, when I read those uh, submissions, very often you have to communicate with the authors to get down exactly what you want from it. So they do their creative work, but at the same time, I help to shape it. So we become a collective voice and represent pathology under um, the best light, giving the strongest voice. For example, I met this researcher scientist. He is so talented. He experienced so many cancer stories in, in his life. He felt a little frustrated what he can do as a basic researcher in the lab. So he was experiencing burnout and then he kind of left the profession. So when I reach out to him, he goes like, I'm glad you did reach out to him. So working with you is putting a very nice ending of the career that I spent many years of. I hope that the other cancer researchers will not experience this burnout, will continue on this journey to conquer the cancer. We took a lot of time to really do the soul searching. So at the end, he expressed what he wanted very eloquently. So that's a lot of work. Sometimes even it's others' creative work but you are doing the sideline coaching with them and you grow, you go through the same anguish, the pain they're experiencing. By the end, we arise into a higher level and uh, the message is more hopeful. And his art is just striking. Mm -hmm. 
So I began this work under the auspices of the CAP publications. And for, for the CAP publications, we are actually working with a committee. Ten years ago, I was picked as this um, committee member because you apply for a CAP committee after apply for many years. I got picked by this committee. I was really, really grateful to interact with great authors and great CAP members. And I grow into the vice chair and then the chair. So I have served 10 years in this committee and made meaningful contributions to improve the CAP publications, especially the book business, and also as the chair of the editorial board for the CAP Today, which is the most popular read pathology magazine and also oversees some of the functions of our archives of pathology and laboratory medicine. So that, that's a really a tremendous experience for the past 10 years. Now I rotate off as the chair of this committee, and this year is going to be an advisor. So this is a, 10 years is big chunk of life in one's life. But looking back, being on this committee gave me the opportunity to really work through the process to create this book. So looking back, it's a very rewarding experience. And this book is the first of this kind. And this is a, a creative process. My co-editor, Dr. Catherine Galligan, and the patient artist who inspired the book, Ms. Sherry Rice, who is the CP Today editor, they all contributed to the review and the determination of which artwork to come in. And Dr. Galligan and I, we she basically created the layout of how the book may be. And because she works in Washington, Seattle, I am in Tampa, Florida. So there's a lot of time difference. So usually, uh, if it's my six o'clock, so we will basically just like working the evenings and the weekend trying to get this book all laid out. And eventually a CAP a publication staff helped us to put this all together into production. So it's a, it's it's not an easy delivery because CAP publications typically publish pathology textbooks. This is the first art book. So we broke a lot of uh, barriers and there's a lot of creativity. By the end, we're very pleased of this product. And also we both donate our uh, on, uh, royalties to the CAP Foundation, which does great work for patients. And one of their flagship program is the C-Test and Treat program. Uh, this provides the patients with breast cancer, cervical cancer screening. It's all free. If they have cancer, they will be connected to the healthcare, which is all free. So I'm very proud of CAP, CAP Foundation and the CAP publications. Yeah, absolutely. I've had uh, Dr. Kerry August was on the podcast a couple of months ago talking about C-Test and Treat. And yeah, it's a it's a great program. And I think everything that the CAP Foundation is doing is 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 just amazing. You know, you mentioned this book being the first of its kind. Are there any plans to do another one at, you know, The Healing Art of Pathology Part 2? So there are a lot of people asking about that. At this point, I have not made any plan, but I have been paying attention to are the potential contributors might be. So in the future, if it comes out with the currently with the social media, with people like you in the up and front, front and center promoting pathology, I imagine the collection of work will be much easier and robust because it was a very mm, painful sure. process before social media for me to collect those artwork. There's a quote in the preface of the book, which which you wrote, and it says, we hope that this book will be used in waiting room clinics, hospitals, departments, and laboratories for patients, patients' families, clinicians, and others to enjoy. Now, I, I like this goal, and it 
it, you know, it, it helps the patients. It brings pathology and the importance of it to the forefront. Have you heard any stories that this has actually happened with this book? Oh, yes, absolutely. For example, the past president of um, CAP, Dr. Pat Godby, purchased multiple copies, put in his break rooms, and he showed me this picture in the pathology break room because they do a lot of training for the firefighters. So when the firefighters come over, they stop the break room, they see this healing art of pathologist book, they're picking up and reading it. So I can just see this image that heroes of pathology laboratory medicine and the frontline providers are all inspiring each other. And also in my hospital, the Art in Medicine program purchased the book. Now it's on the shelf. And some of the friends of pathologists uh, are the department chairs. There's one time I made an appointment to see him. I found my healing art of pathology book on his coffee table. So when his guests waiting to see him, they will see this book because I, my institution was helping me to spread words. And the department managers is purchasing books to use in the waiting room. For example, the physical therapy and rehabilitation manager got a book for, for their room. And I donated numerous copies to the departments, hospitals, and public libraries. And when I travel to the cities, I will bring the books and donate to their cities. And also whenever I have opportunity to talk about this book, I would. For example, I give a talk at a society meeting and uh, we did a discussion at the end. We still have five minutes. So I said, by the way, let me talk to you about this book. People stayed and the people asked, where can I purchase the book? Can I purchase it on Amazon? I said, sure, you can. You can also call the CAP to purchase it or get on CAP online to purchase the book. And there is a manager of a company that works with a pathologist. He purchased the 30 copies. And they gave it to all their new employees. They said, you're going to work with pathologists. I want you to understand who those people are. This is the book. It's the door for you to see the mind and the, the, the heart and the soul of pathologists. There are numerous examples like that. And some uh, industry vendors and give those books as prices. And there's royalties from the book donate to the CEP Foundation, which has some, um, does the, as you said, does fantastic advocacy works for the patients. I recently received a thank you letter from Dr. August, the CEP Foundation president, informing me that the awardees and some donors will receive this book as a prize. So the Healing Art of Pathology book can be purchased on Amazon or the CEP website. And the CAP PR department also made a flyer for me. So I can post it on social media during the holiday. And the message is giving a gift of inspiration. Because you can buy a box of chocolate to give it to your family, friends. After they eat it, they gain calorie. They have to run it off. But if you give them this book, they're so is nurtured like the chicken soup for the soul, right? Mm, After they're done yeah. with the book, they can hand it to the other people. So this message just keep passing on. So this book is like a little pebble you throw into the lake, continue to generate this ripple with people like you, also promoting pathology in the laboratory medicine, and then we'll create a big wave and eventually the society will catching on because supporting pathology is not just to, to keep the livelihood of our profession. Supporting pathology is to support themselves because when we have quality patient care, their care will be benefited from it. I love it. That's a great message. And I will definitely include a link to the book in the show notes for this episode so that people can can pick it up if they like. 
Okay, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because you've mentioned this a couple of times already, it's the concept of being a holistic pathologist. Mm-hmm. What does this concept mean to you? And how can we, how can the rest of us sort of apply this to our own lives? Yes, this is really important to think of practicing pathology not only as performing a job, but also living a meaningful and rewarding life. When you feel that you're doing a great job, you're making a positive impact on the lives associated with you, the patients, the colleagues, trainees, and others, you're being appreciated and valued. Your professional curiosity is satisfied. Your work becomes energizing to you. Then you have mastered the art and science of being a pathologist. Please do not limit yourself to your little silo behind the microscope, behind the closed door of the office, connecting with your patients, colleagues, trainees, and collaborating with them will be very rewarding. And also considering to volunteer for pathology societies and build your community, advocate for your profession and the patients, and be prepared to influence the impact on our profession in a significant way. After spending six years in medical school, six years in graduate school, five years to get the ACGME certification and five years in residency and fellowship, I basically spend a lot of time prepare me to be able to do the job I am doing. So when I go to perform a final aspiration on a patient, the patient will say, how many years have you been doing this? I would say, I've been practicing this for 17 years, but just to be able to stand in front of you, I spent 20 years. So basically 37 years. This all brings a smile on their faces and a great confidence that they are in great hands. And also, for the past so many years, I've been practicing and learning. I continue to adapt, transform, and have finally succeeded in finding this balance of work, life, well-being. And looking back, making the Healing Art of Pathology book was really a transformative. It's the secret sauce that getting this all together. The Maslow's hierarchy of needs is often represented as a, as a pyramid with more basic needs at the bottom, such as safety, love, belongings, and esteem. Being a holistic pathologist gave us the great opportunity to satisfy the higher level growth needs, such as a cognitive, we do diagnosis is very challenging. That's satisfied that. Aesthetics, we see so much beauty under the microscope. This healing art of pathology book is just shows the connection between art and the science and medicine and the self-actualization. And you're able to do what you're intended to do. You found the calling of your life in your profession. So the highest level is transcendence. This is where I'm trying to achieve now. That is beyond ego, beyond the self, and beyond space and time. When I search for meaning of life and what is our purpose of life, I'm very grateful. I have found the pathology and its connection to an enduring source of inspiration. I'm passionate of practicing pathology and laboratory medicine with a whole mind, body, and soul. And thank you so much for this opportunity to talk with you. It's been an absolute honor to talk with you, to go through your career, to talk about the healing art of pathology. And I, I just love your message so much. It, it's, it's great. So Dr. Marilyn Bui, thank you so much. Thank you. Great big thanks to Dr. Marilyn Bui. Here's a trailer from another episode that I think you'll enjoy, and then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. Do you think that digital pathology will become 
widely used or widely adopted in the near future? I think that's an interesting question because on the one hand, I think it's inevitable and we all kind of have just this sense that it is inevitable. I mean, why wouldn't we go digital? You know, but on the other hand, it is costly and it is time consuming and maybe the workflows are not intuitive, particularly to pathologists have been, who have been doing things the old way. And then I think, you know, one, one thing that has come out of the podcast is, you know, just the comparison to pathology and radiology, which might not be entirely obvious to everybody, but in pathology, going digital, uh, the process adds expense because you're adding more steps, right? You're taking the glass slide that you would have immediately looked at under the microscope and you're adding another step with expensive scanners and monitors and displays, you know, another day, technician time. So you're adding more steps, you're making it more expensive compared to radiology where you know, the image, the digitized image is the true image and printing it out on film is adding more steps. So when radiology went digital, they actually eliminated steps and potentially made it cheaper. You can hear more from Dr. Joseph Anderson in episode 57. If you look at Dr. Bowie's career as a whole, the story that comes out of that is one of drive, of the constant desire to learn more, to do more, to keep up to date on the latest techniques and technologies. If you combine that with the healing art of pathology and her connection to her patients, then that gives you the concept of the holistic pathologist as she talked about. And these are two very important lessons, and I think they're two areas that we can all strive to be better at. And when I mentioned to Dr. Bowie that this episode would be released on February 14th, Valentine's Day, she said, what an appropriate way to celebrate the day and talk about care and compassion. And of course, she's absolutely right. As always, I'll have links in the show notes to everything we talked about today. Don't forget you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others, and together let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.